Hello and welcome to the Spooky Shelf Podcast. I am your host, Joe Ducaro. In this podcast, I invite my guests to curate their very own Spooky Shelf, comprising 13 movie titles that they think is the best the horror genre has to offer. Now, my guest today is the writer and performer, Adam Z. Robinson. Adam's hugely knowledgeable on ghosts and all things ghost stories, obviously being... Uh, the performer that he is, who tours with various ghost stories, adaptations of classic stuff, and original pieces too. Something else I need to make mention of is I got a message through Instagram the other day from uh, an account called Autistic Horror, which I believe is run by Mike Leach. Um, Mike, if I've mispronounced him, I do apologise. But basically, Mike got in touch and said, Oh, I had some time on my hands, so. What essentially what this boils down to is there is now a list on Letterbox which is curated by the wonderful Mike called the Spooky Shelf Podcast, and in it is every single film that's featured on somebody's Spooky Shelf. So Mike, thank you so much for doing that. That's really really cool. I'll put a link um, in the, the podcast description so you can uh, go and have a look and start following. Uh, without further ado, let's now go and put up a Spooky Shelf with Adam Z. Robinson. Adam, how are you doing today? Hiya, Joe. Thanks for having me. This is really a pleasure to be here. It's uh, it's very exciting. No, of course. It's my absolute pleasure. So as with, you know, the, the majority of the guests so far on Spooky Shelf, I became aware of you through, um, you know, our friend Mike Munzer and ev- Evolution of Horror. Yes, um, good old Mike. And uh, I've, I've really, really enjoyed all your all the episodes that you've appeared on. Actually, Thanks, there's Joe. one that I, I go back to and I listen to quite a lot. It's the one... Um, I think it was yourself, Mike, and I think it was was it Rob Watts? Uh-huh. You were doing kids horror. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. That was I, so fun. I, I don't know what it is about that episode, but I just keep going back to it. And oh, just, that's nice to hear. It's a it's it's a real weird sort of vein of of horror, like stuff that we see when we're kids yeah. is like really influential to all of us. But we've all got those things that's like, oh, that absolutely shat me up, even if it was like an advert or something. You know? <laughs> totally. I think if you scratch the surface of any. Uh, self-respecting horror fan you'll find a, a sort of eager and enthusiastic child there who uh, you know <laughs> who was the person who began that love yeah I think we all sort of started at a young age didn't we really and 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 got addicted very young it was it was really good fun I remember recording that episode uh, for I think it's for Mike's Patreon actually and mm. one of the things that um, sticks out in my memory is that uh, I made the suggestion that we do a competition to make the best Burke from Trapdoor. You know the character from Trapdoor, yes. the little blue guy. And um, <laughs> and and so we all got some plasticine, and I, <laughs> and I thought we were all going to try really really hard. So I tried my absolute hardest, and I think the other two did try as well. But I think I just took it to um, another level. So when we came round to sort of revealing our Burks, so to speak. Um, I really looked like the teacher's pet who'd, you know, spent um, many careful hours sculpting. Um, and there's a little video of that somewhere on, on Mike's um, Facebook page, which is it's worth a little look, the reveal. They both get very cross with me. <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to dig that one out then. Have a, have a good old look at your Burk, Adam. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I sort of hoped, you know, how... Uh, how um, Mike's got the Dream Warriors. I, I sort of secretly hope we would, Rob and I would become the Burks, but it hasn't really um, <laughs> hasn't really taken off as a nickname, which I suppose in some ways is is good. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's an obvious <laughs> connotation there that it's, maybe it's good that you're avoiding that one, yeah, Adam. So, yeah. uh, um, Adam, how are you with? Uh, I mean, you're a, you're theatre uh, theatre maker, so I imagine yeah. you know 
banging things together with nails and sticky tape and holding <laughs> things up. It's probably going to be not too much of a challenge for you to put up a shelf, right? <laughs> I mean, look, I think the expression theatre maker is uh, its not necessarily the, the most honest thing in the world. I'm not there sort of with hammer and chisel constructing uh, <laughs> constructing a, we- a West End venue. Um, uh, I, you know what? I, I'm not... I, I, I think I should just have more confidence with DIY, Joe, because sometimes when I give it a bash and I give it a try, um, I do all right. So I got back from a holiday recently and I was it was a long haul flight and I got home and I was jet lagged. And I'm just looking now at these two little lights that I put up when I was absolutely in the stupors of, of jet lag. And they look all right. They're sort of up there. They do the job. If I, oops, I just nearly destroyed my keyboard lifting my hand up. So this is why imagine? I'm not allowed to do DIY. Um, <laughs> if that's the moment you actually knock them down. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, did right then. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, next question. No, um, and then there's a... But... As another example, there's a patch of uh, wall in the living room that when we moved in um, uh, was scratched when some of the furniture was brought in. So I set about, oh, I can fix this, I can get the the paint and I can just touch that up, it'll be absolutely fine. I did that and as a result, I am not allowed to do any DIY unless I consult <laughs> my partner in writing six yeah. weeks in advance. That's yeah, sort yeah, of where yeah, we are. Yeah. I'd rather get someone in to do it who's good at it, who knows what they're yes. doing. Honestly, it's... That's- <laughs> Yeah, that's a hundred percent my outlook yeah. on it. We've literally, we've had our garden done, and it's come after a year of looking at it, going, "I mean, we could dig all that stuff, yeah. or we could get someone who knows what they're all about." You know, let's just <laughs> yeah. do that. Easy. Yeah. So I, I'm um, conflicted on the, on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started. Um, well, let's let's assume we've put up your shelf, Adam. So now we've got to we've got to fill it with stuff. So yeah. your first film I'm going to ask you to put on your shelf, Adam, is what's the first horror film you ever saw? First horror film I ever saw, I think, was Silver Bullet, which is uh, a, a werewolf movie. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Okay. It's, a, it's eluded me, but it's based on the Stephen King. Is it that is. right? Cycle of, the werewolf. Cycle of the werewolf. Exactly right. Correct. Good knowledge. Well, when I was um, far too young to be watching anything like this, my, my older brother brought back from school a VHS tape that his friend... Um, I think the friend's name was Richard, had taped off the TV. And the first sort of half of the DV, of the um, VHS was Weird Science. And the second half of the VHS was Silver Bullet. And I remember distinctly my dad saying to my older brother, he can watch the first one, but do not <laughs> let him watch the 18. I, I mean, mm. which was, looking back, I mean, Weird Science, I shouldn't have been watching Weird Science at that age. But my brother, at that point, was still in primary school. And when did you finish primary school? Like, 11? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're 11 when you, yeah. So the oldest I can possibly have been when I watched that, I think, was six. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, I think <laughs> I was six, I think, or maybe seven. So let's say seven to be generous. Um, and I watched that and I just remember being totally captivated, totally terrified. And I've never seen it since. I've never sat down and watched it again. And they did this really lovely um, uh, re-release uh, Blu-ray a couple of years ago. Really gorgeous cover art on the front as they often do when they do these things. Mm. Um, and somebody dropped me a line. I think it might have been um, my friend Tom and said, oh, you know, I've heard you talking about this. Do you want to get it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I was so enthusiastic about, oh, yeah, I'm going to pick that up, I'm going to get it. But I didn't. There's something in me, Joe, that sort of won't watch that film again. And I don't think it's fear. I think it's because I'm pretty sure that it's rubbish. Yeah, you don't want to break the spell, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there, like, you know, of the two, 
I think Silver Bullet's probably the less problematic one. And, well, yes, I mean, <laughs> this is it. And this would have been, you know, sort of the late 80s. In the late 80s and 90s, which was when I was sort of um, finding my feet as a horror fan, it, it people, um, I don't know, people's attitudes towards uh, certification and their kids watching certain things seem to be way more relaxed. That was certainly my experience of it. I don't think... Um, my parents were necessarily reaching for the BBFC guidance uh, before saying yes to me watching a film. But it's really funny. I look back on that time, and I'm so, in a strange way, I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But today, I'm also slightly like, oh my goodness, an eight-year-old yeah, watching I, that movie. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, you say that, but like, I think everybody I've spoken to on this has got a story about how they watched something when they were far too young totally. for it. But that actually was a defining sort of. You know they can pinpoint. Oh, that's the point where I started to realize. Okay, there's there's stuff beyond you know your your kids' movies and yeah. your Simpsons cartoons and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So, are you a big sort of Stephen King guy then, Adam? I think I am. Yeah, I, I read lots of Stephen King when I was growing up. Um, a lot of it was was too, I think probably too advanced for me and talking about stuff that I didn't quite understand and wasn't as um, horror, 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 horror. Um, in terms of the novels, as as I was kind of hoping, I think I was sort of hoping for like a comic book experience when I picked up Stephen King for the first time. Um, but he's just, as I've come to realise um, later on uh, as an adult, he's he's an incredible writer. Full stop. He's not just a, a good writer of horror. He is an incredible mm. writer, and so there's nuance in there, and there's character development, and there's brilliant plotting that you know, as a sort of um, precocious ten year old as I was, I don't <laughs> think a lot of that. Um, hit home in the same way but I think I read uh, maybe five or six Stephen King novels between the ages of like maybe 10 and and, and 15 um, mm. and recently uh, went back to loads of them when I was kind of um, you know I don't know I just wanted to, to circle back to a lot of them and I, and I did and, and um, found it a total joy and, and listened to a lot of them on audiobook now as well and I go back to some of the bigger ones on audiobook because I can't quite face picking up the stand or or mm. it um but i can absolutely um you know i i love the experience of, of listening to it as an audio thing yeah. I, I used to listen to a lot of audio, but so before I, I got a job in, in podcasting, I uh, I was a gardener, ah. and I would spend all day, all day, every day, I would just be listening to podcasts, um, or or it was you know audible, and a lot of the stuff was like the the big chunky Stephen King books, because but big novels sort of like I used to read loads when I was a teenager, like I'd read a book a day almost, mm. but big novels these days really intimidate me, and uh-huh. he has got some. Door yeah, stops, yeah, yeah, it? yeah, so. real chunk of us. I, I go through phases, like sometimes I I deliberately choose an absolute tome because yeah. um, I love the idea of, of getting to know the characters and, and, you know, properly bedding into a story. I love that. But other times, like at the moment, I'm, I'm on a real short story kick. But again, Stephen King's amazing for that. His, his short stories are mm. utterly uh, stunning. I read they, one... They were... Go on. I was going to say I read one recently called I think it's called The Breathing Method, which is recommended to me um, by Jen Ashworth, uh, who's a novelist and a, a friend of mine. And she said, uh, "You've got to read this. It's it's incredible. I hadn't even heard of it, and I, I sort of jumped into it. I can't even remember what collection it's in. I'll I'll look before the end of the episode and I'll tell you." Um, <laughs> and w- was totally stunned by it. It's this weird. Uh, starts off as this almost Mr. Jamesy uh, group of people who get together and tell stories, and then just becomes this 
unbelievably moving, weird, terrifying um, tale about um, about a woman who's who's about to have a baby, and it's not it does doesn't go where you think it's going to go, or rather, it didn't go where I thought it was going to go. Mm. Um, stunning. That's really interesting you said because a, yes, so his short stories that was my doorway into Stephen King. I didn't mm. start with like you know your, your shinings or anything yeah. like that. I, I started with the short story collections. I'm not familiar with that one. It's really good, but it also weirdly ties into a previous job I had. So <laughs> the job that got me out of gardening and into a sort of a media type role was I was doing the social media for a hypnobirthing company, oh, and that's wow. all about breathing methods uh-huh. in pregnancy and in labor and everything so i'm definitely going to search yeah you should else, yeah. I, I i think you'd find it interesting on on many levels in that case yeah it's 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 a unique and brilliant story i think yeah. it's like the perfect blend of my sort of careers all coming through <laughs> yeah. into, into well i was one, thinking so. when you said about gardening i was thinking about the lawnmower man and whether you'd listen to that because that's, <laughs> that's a stephen king isn't it as well so <laughs> right amazing so we've got silver bullet down yeah. uh, and we had quite the digression into stephen king which you know i i don't really get to talk about books with people so it's quite oh, nice to well do you've, that, you're so. in good company here <laughs> i i love i love books so so much they're a huge part of uh huge part of my life mm-hmm Absolutely. So um, let's let's go for your your second film. What mm. we'll do is when when we get to the end of this, Adam, I'll, I'll give you the uh, on your spooky shelf. You can have honorary a horror book section as well. we'll oh, yes, that. please. I'd like to, yeah, I'd like tandem shelves if that's all right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd like. Well, to be fair, you know, I I was kind enough to allow Louise Blaine to have a video game. So you uh, yeah, there you go. Book, so. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> uh, your second film I'm going to ask you for. Which film scared you the most? I've answered this by thinking about the film that I couldn't continue watching. There have only been two of these, and the other one features uh, later in the questions. Um, And the answer is Candyman. Um, Oh, wow. The original Candyman. And what happened was, up the road from us were two video shops. Um, One of them was quite strict and they would not let anybody who was you know not 15 to take uh, take a 15 out um you had to sort of go up with your parents and they had to sort of get the film out for you even things like 12 they were they were quite strict and there was one particular um man who worked there who was very strict and we didn't like it when he was in because he was too strict um further down the road on the same row of shops was essentially an off license um, and sweet shop and the guy who ran that was a guy called G that's what that's what everyone knew him as I think it was even called G's actually the shop um, and he had a little section on one side of the shop which was um, videos and it was a very small selection of videos but we once went up me and my friend who was uh, maybe a couple of years older than me but again I don't... I mean, if it had just come out on video... What year did Candyman come out? I can't remember. I think you're looking at sort of 1991, yeah, 92, 90, 91, So, I mean, I don't even know if I was in secondary school. I don't think I was. Um, and we went up and we tried to get Candyman. And uh, G said, now look, this is an 18. So you, you can't really watch this unless your parents say it's okay. Um, and we were like, ah, you know, thwarted. And uh, we said, uh, we said, what if we go ask her? And he went, yeah, go ask her. So we literally stepped outside the shop for about <laughs> like two minutes, came back in and said, yes, she, she said it's so all right. Fun. And he let us take it, which is just looking back, it's absolutely astonishing. It really, really is. Um, 
I sort of say that story in, in the relative safely, safety of knowing that um, at the time, uh, G was quite an old man, even at the time. So, and it's been many years since then. So, um, and uh, so we took this home, put it on. And there's the scene where um, she sort of goes into the, the public toilets and, and, and sort of, or, or is told about going, uh, th- this kid being found in the public toilets. And they sort mm. of, there's that kid. And in my memory, it, the the picture in my memory of that scene is clearer than the film scene that I saw relatively recently again, um, and it's yeah just a sort of kid lying in a pool of blood basically, and it just struck me as being so brutal, and because it wasn't um, it wasn't this kind of glossy glitzy um, you know picket fence uh, horror movie like something like. Um, Halloween, where everything seems yes, it's scary, yes, it's menacing, but the houses are all quite nice and the neighbourhoods nice and stuff. It, you know, it was, mm. it, it's not that Candyman. It's got, a, it's got um, a sort of an edge to it in in that sense. And I think obviously that's part of what the film is is, is talking about. I didn't know that when I when I first watched it. Of course, <laughs> didn't pick up on any of the the sort of the politics or the um, sociology therein. Um, but had to turn it off. Couldn't watch it. Yeah was so traumatized by that moment that I just could not carry on. And I th- I don't think I saw it again fully until I got the Blu-ray a couple of years ago. Um, and even as I sat down to watch it and put it on, I was, I, I felt a sense of genuine anxiety and fear that wasn't this playful, fun thing that you get when you watch, you know, most horror movies. I genuinely yeah. felt frightened. I felt, and as we were, as it was going through, I was like, "But this is not. It's not any worse than, than so many horror films I've seen. It's not nastier than you know loads of horror films that I've had to endure." But it really, yeah, it still had that strange effect on me. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's a great film. Having rewatched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. So, I mean, it, it completely. I completely um, sympathise with the the fact that it still has that power over you because it, mm. because if it scared you that much when you were you know that the age when you first saw it, yeah. then as and I imagine as you're approaching the moment where they're talking about going into the toilets, that would you were really like, oh god, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. How yeah. This is gonna. Um, so I have a, a a similar sort of thing. So. Um, when I was a, I've told this story on this podcast um, before, uh, so I won't, I won't go into huge detail with it. But um, the film that scared me the most uh, was the 1989 Nigel Neal Woman in Black mm. um, mm-hmm. TV TV movie. It's brilliant, and um, it, it got to the point. So in, I think it was in 2020. I can't remember which company did it, but there's a really lovely sort of Blu-ray edition of it now. Yeah. I bought it as soon as I found out it was coming out. I was like, oh, great, I'm going to own this film again. I still haven't watched it because I just can't. There's yeah. there's a real block in my head. That, yeah. And as you say, as you quite rightly say, we've seen so much worse and so much more scary stuff. But mm-hmm. it's that initial. It's going back to that first one that I... It's st- Like the, the Blu-rays, it's two rooms away. And I'm like, no, I still <laughs> cannot go yeah, and put the, it on. They're tarnished somehow. There's something something mm. happens and it marks it out doesn't it and like i say the 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 images in my head of that film are way stronger yes. than the actual um than the actual you know moments in the film and i think that is 
um, that's testament to the power of our memory and how, as a kid, you're just soaking stuff up like a sponge. But I'm, I'm happy to say that it didn't put me off horror. I think, I think maybe, and again, I didn't know that I was, a, I was um, discovering this, but maybe what I was discovering was that there are different sorts of yes. horror. Um, and that was my first um, inkling that the, the genre is as broad as it is. Um, because it feels very serious. Even when you watch it now, it feels like a very yeah. serious film. There's not a lot of humour in it or mucking about in that film that you have in, in lots of horror films. You know, lots of slasher films, are, they've got people are mucking about and having fun and there's a there's a sort of a campness um, uh, in some regard. But, but even, I mean, you know, I'd have to sit down and, and study it, but Candyman always strikes me as quite a serious film. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's not really many moments of levity, is it? No. But, um, I mean, the irony's not lost on me, the fact that you got scared for, by Candyman and you rented it literally from a sweet shop. <gasps> so- <laughs> I've never made that connection. That's, really? Yeah, that's genius. <laughs> Candyman from the Candyman, yeah. Fantastic. It's, it, do you know what? I, I absolutely adore Candyman. Every time I watch it, I get it's one of those ones where I get something, mm. something else from it each time I see it. Have you have you seen the um, the Neo Da Costa yeah. Candyman as well? What I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. I I loved that it um, was able to tread its own path and do its own thing. I I really properly properly enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I hadn't I you know had no criticisms for it whatsoever. And um, I think they, you know, they they held onto the. Um, the figure of, of Tony Todd as 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 that character, but didn't feel you know it necessary to walk a very very similar line to the original. They they were able to do their own thing with it. Yeah, I, I really I properly enjoyed it. Yeah, and there's the shot of um, the silhouettes on the wall with the blue and red flashing lights mm-hmm. as they shoot the chap on the floor. Yeah, and it's just it coming out the year after. Um, the George Floyd murder and everything. That is such a powerful it really is. image. As soon as soon as that came up, and I saw, I, I started crying. Yeah. I was in tears for the rest yeah. of that film after that. It was so powerful. Yeah, so, I agree. Excellent. Yeah, Candyman. Okay, um, I'm going to put in a little a note from G as well. Who says, "Yep, you said your mum said you could watch this." <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> um, moving on to your third film, then Adam, what's your favourite slasher movie? Okay, look, the the answer is obviously <laughs> Scream, isn't it? I mean, yeah, that's the I answer. Knew you were gonna say but that. <laughs> but I'm not going to I'm not going to say Scream. Ooh. For the sake of variety, I'm not going to say Scream. Um I toyed with this for ages as well, Joe, because it's 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 a it's a devious podcast this. It's <laughs> <laughs> It's a genius concept. But it's, it's kept me awake at night. Um, so Scream- You're not the first person to say that. <laughs> Louise Blaine said much the same. The first thing she said was, I've actually hated doing uh, this because yeah. I was so stressed. Yeah, so. <laughs> stiff with stress. Um, Scream is the answer, I think. I think it is the perfect, um, the perfect slash film. The reason it's the perfect slash film is because it has remodelled what went before, right? So that's why it's perfect. And it has discarded any nonsense, any fluff, trimmed all the fat. And what you have essentially is the perfect, by design, um, uh, slash movie. And it, and it mm-hmm. you know, even manages to be postmodern without seeming to be smug. It's funny with its um, postmodernism. Um, so it is the perfect slash movie, and it's very, very hard to find um, something that, that, that is better than that. However, um, one, more, one, one of the most subversive answers I came up with, one of the more sort of off-the-beaten-track answers, was It Follows. 
I think, but I'm not there. That's not my choice. That's not my choice. So oh my this God. is, I know this. This is a really round the houses way. Uh, it's a triple threat. Uh, it's a triple threat. <laughs> it follows. I think is is an absolute triumph. But I thought I just don't think I can go on Joe's podcast and with a straight face say it isn't that it follows is my favorite slasher. It is a stunning masterpiece of a film. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. about it is wonderful, but it is a little bit left field, isn't it? In terms of. Yeah, calling it I mean, a slasher is a slightly controversial. Um, I, I, well, I mean, I, I would happily accept an argument for it to be called a slasher. Same, same. It does it does fit into the sort of the um, the conventions of the slasher it genre? Does. But I think it's less than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. is the thing. So it's got some brilliant moments in it. I don't think it necessarily all works together. That's but anyway, and the, and and. The next film I'm going to mention is also not my choice. Um, uh, but I think Mike, Mike Bunce talks about how um, uh, Final Destination is a slasher film. And I think that's a really uh-huh. interesting perspective as well. So I'm sort of that, that was why I was reconsidering It Follows because I thought it is amazing, but I don't know whether I could, you know, say it's my favourite slasher film and, and whether it's a pure slasher film. I don't know. So my answer is Nightmare on Lamb Street. The first, Fantastic. the first. What a roundabout way I know, of I'm sticking so sorry. with Wes Craven. I apologize. Sorry, everyone. I do apologize. Uh, yeah, um, no, no. It, was, it was a fun ride. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, this is another film, Joe, that I had to turn off when I was a kid. Um, oh, this really? one, yeah, this one I taped off the telly. Right, it was on the telly. I'd stuck the VHS tape in. I I plugged in all the coordinates and whatever you had to do, and you know, done an incantation um, with, with <laughs> bones and and runes and stuff, and and managed to set the alarm um, for it to tape off the tv stuck it on um and my mum always tells this story that she again didn't know i think at all the content of this film she said that she went out up to the shop possibly cg i don't know um uh, uh <laughs> to while complain. to complain probably <laughs> yeah 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 while i was watching nightmare on arm street so when she left i was watching freddy krueger when she came back she was like "Ooh, i didn't know uh the little boy from home alone was in Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, and he wasn't. But what happened was, I got so frightened that I turned it off and put Home Alone on. So, she, so she came back in thinking that it was this um, Macaulay Culkin slasher movie. Um, it was the bit where, and it's not in hindsight, it's preposterous. But it's the bit where Johnny Depp gets dragged into the bed and the blood kind of explodes into the ceiling. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. It was, it was, it was too overwhelming or too much blood i don't know i was so startled by it and i had to turn it off so yeah but i think it's i think it's an incredible incredible movie um it's a brilliant slasher film in its own right but it's also you know a ghost story sort of and a um a fantasy movie and maybe you could even suggest um, it nudges into cosmic horror a little bit and late yeah. in the later sequels it becomes actual surrealism you know that Dali would have been proud of it's <laughs> it's it's an amazing it's an amazing franchise um and talking of that cursed object thing that you were mentioning with the woman in black i have in the next room all of the original friday the th- um, <laughs> nightmare on <Elm> street <laughs> dvds with the red spine except yes. the original which i for some reason did not buy when i bought the rest of them Never bought it since either, so I don't know. <laughs> but I've watched it a lot since, and I think it's amazing. 
yeah, I, do you know? I genuinely am surprised that I, I've recorded a few of the, of the you know spooky shows now, and mm. no one's really mentioned that <gasps> Street wow. because it was such an important horror film for myself mm. as well. It was the, the one that really got me into. Oh, okay, so there are these character franchises, yeah. you know. And <clears throat> Freddy was like the first one that I really got into. Yeah, um, I think what Nightmare on Elm Street does brilliantly is i mean and quite apart from the fact that if you watch it now it still holds up and it's still genuinely scary it is you know considering it's 1984 i think it something was. like that um the fact that it plays on something that as you know a, a child and then a teenager you don't necessarily consider the fact that your parents have had a life before you yeah and the fact that it's it's because of you know the the sins of the father the sins of the parents that yeah. you are now suffering directly as a result for the actions that they took that's terrifying yeah that's really scary that your parents made a decision that has directly affected you in such a terrible way yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think the other thing is that it's it it, it it has a brilliant backstory which it reveals at the perfect moment so you've got this yes. strange mysterious um unbelievable yet believable thing happening of this man stalking people in their dreams and killing them and then you get this reveal that actually yeah as you say it's tied to actions um committed by um one's parents who you sort of see as as certainly trustworthy if not infallible at, um when you're younger yeah I think it's a stunning, stunning thing. And the thing, one of the scenes that also got me, and I think this is where the tipping point started, and it's very early in the film, is where you see, I think it's Tina, the character's name, in the body yes. bag sitting outside the classroom. And it's just awful, this sort of see-through bag, and she's covered in blood. Um, yeah, and it's still the idea of that sort of does something weird to me. And when I hit, I, I tend to write, Joe, to... Um, horror soundtracks <laughs> when i'm writing um my shows the stories for my shows i i tend to write to um you know a bunch of amazing original soundtracks from horror films and whenever mm. nightmare on elm street comes on just those kind of few synth notes at the beginning there um i sort of freeze for a moment and have to <laughs> stop and just gather my 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 wits again <laughs> <laughs> It'd be quite interesting to examine, like, you know, just track what you've written at certain points when certain pieces yeah. of music have played yeah. and see if it, like, your writing has invoked yeah. something from that. <laughs> well, I tend to I tend to edit to um, a different soundtrack. So the writing bit is just where I'm throwing all the ideas down. But it would be interesting, wouldn't it, to sort of... <laughs> and then a man with knives on his hands. Yeah. suddenly we're in a boiler room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what you were saying about, um, you know, the... the these films existing in the world, these franchises, and becoming aware of that. I remember the other day, for the f uh, first time in a lot uh, in a long time, that my brother once told me that there was a man in our neighbourhood where I grew up in Halifax called Freddy, who who was like this kind of murderer. Basically, he was this sort of man stalking the streets, chasing kids, and one and you know he was like, oh, you know, you need to be careful of Freddy. Watch out for Freddy. And this is way before I knew of. Um, a nightmare on Elm Street. And he once came into the house, uh, I think it was at my Nana's house, and he had um, what transpired to be um, a paperclip that he'd unfolded, right? So a length of, like, wire. And he said that Freddie had chased him with this strangling wire. Oh and and, I, and I, I, I know, this is my older brother, like, and he was telling me so seriously. And I, I, I suspect that Freddie 
was the Freddy from A Nightmare on Elm Street, but he didn't necessarily know who that was. But the idea of Freddy yeah. was so much in the, the consciousness of frightened children that he was able to traumatise <laughs> me with it as a real as a real thing. People ask me how I ended up writing horror. I just don't know what to tell them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if only it was clear and apparent. And, you know. um, also not lost on me the irony that you switched over to Home Alone uh, given that Nightmare on Elm Street basically ends in Home Alone. <laughs> what do you mean? Nancy putting up all the oh, traps yeah, and course, stuff, didn't she? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Oh, yeah, 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 you lost <laughs> yeah. me for a minute. Yeah, yeah. See, I, was thinking, I was sort of like <laughs> thinking about that scene where she gets pulled through the door. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, Freddy at the end, you know, he's, he's stuffing True the sink enough. and turning on the tap saying he's yeah. the wet bandits. <laughs> and... <laughs> and the iron falls on his face. Yeah, we all, we all know. Yeah. That's yeah. how he gets the burns. <laughs> Come on, Adam, it yeah. writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street. Uh, via Scream, it follows. Uh, there was another one you mentioned, wasn't there? Before yeah, that, um, that Final episode? Destination. Final Destination. That was it. Sorry. No, no, that's absolutely fantastic. I appreciate that you've put this much thought into it. So yeah. that's fantastic. Now, this I think is going to be a very interesting question. <laughs> my next one for you, Adam. What is your favourite ghost or haunting horror film? Oh, wow. I this imagine is, this is this was a difficult. So one hard. Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, put that on the poster. Why are you doing this? <laughs> um, I have landed on the others, which I think is is a stunning, near perfect ghost story. Um, it manages to be faithful to a genre that is so so dear to my heart this idea of the of the classic english ghost story and um, it has you know whispers of of the vibes of people like mr james and e nesbitt and algernon blackwood and, and all my favorite mm-hmm. ghost story writers but it does something unique as well and it and it, it you know again it walks it so it treads its own path beautifully I think Nicole Kidman has has rarely been better than in that film. I think she's a, an incredible um, actor, and I and I think that she's amazing in the others. Um, the scares are beautifully timed. It's a good example of of a ghost story that is at once atmospheric, but also nails the jump scares. And I know from you know making the theatre shows that we do that yes, we love the atmosphere, we love the chilling ambiance of a ghost story, we love the coziness. But if you can deliver a well timed, well executed jump scare, your audience renews its faith in you i feel and mm. it and, and they're very much on side from from that point onwards and they're on their toes and i, I just think it's um, a stunning stunning thing um yeah i think it's amazing i assume you've you've seen it <gasps> okay right we need to fix this um, <laughs> this is right so one <laughs> slight flaw in uh-huh. the format of this show is there is obviously there's going to be you of know, course, gaps in yep. my knowledge, but what this does mean is I end up with a list myself of things yep. I need to go and watch. I don't know if you've, I can't remember. I, I heard reference to this short. I think it's a short story from a little while ago, um, mm. some podcast or something I was listening to. There is a a short story that's a um, it's a group of I think English professors all get together and they're all having a dinner party. They've got the brandies and the cigars and everything. They're all just discussing you know literature and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, the topic of conversation, I will bring this back to the others. Don't worry. <laughs> um, the topic of conversation turns to you know great works that you 
not read. Yeah. And everyone's going around just, you know, offering up bits and pieces. And they're like, oh, you've not read that? Oh, okay, yeah, no, it's fine. And then one of them says he's never read Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And they all just turn on him. Just <laughs> how can you be in these? And not that. And for some reason, it was just it's that one that mm. everyone goes in on this professor. Yep. And I, I don't think I've quite reached it yet. I haven't got to <laughs> having a chat with anyone and said, "Oh, I've not seen but Halloween all, or whatever." And they've you're got, so what? right though. We, we've all got big hitters that we haven't seen. We've all got. 100%. There's only so much time in in our days. Of course, there's going to be things that you that you haven't. Seen. I I've made peace with the fact that I'll never read Ulysses, for example. I've made peace oh, with yeah. that fact. Um, and there there is there are loads. Of, I mean, I can't none come to mind right now. But but give me you know ten minutes to think about it, and loads would come to mind. Loads of big hitter um, horror movies that I haven't seen. Yeah, so don't let anyone give you any hassle for that. My response was basically, we need to fix it because it's amazing, and I want you to watch it. <laughs> well, this is it. So I mean, it's not a snobbish sort of like, oh, you should have seen that. That's the thing, right? And I think there can be um, sort of gatekeepers in all sorts of yeah, cultures yeah. and that bit and pieces. No, I'm not but interested I, in that. It's just pointless because, as you say, everyone's got these gaps, you know? So I, I'm, I just, sort of... I'm just jealous of people who haven't seen my favourite movies for the first time because then they get to see them. Well, there um, we go. And I want to be sitting next to them staring at them, which is <laughs> an added... Le- it's that th- thing where you show somebody a YouTube video that you think is really funny and you sort of sit there glaring at them until they... Um, <laughs> just... Absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah nothing. Yeah. I, I, I have had that before where it's like, you know, introducing someone to it. It's like, right, if you don't like this thing, yeah. we can't be friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? no, no. So, and also, if you watched it and you hated it, then obviously, you know, um, that's that's it, man. That's 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 the people. We all have our own positions on things, don't we? And we're, we're all different, aren't we? Um, we <laughs> the, the other options that were sort of, um, you know, hovering around my head were oh whistle and i'll come to you the original yeah have, have, have you seen that have you seen that one uh i do you know i haven't seen my, it but i have no. love listened to the um the audible <gasps> version of it and it's great. well i mean the original story is uh, absolutely wonderful and then the other one that's mentioned on your podcast a few times which is ghost watch um it's funny it's come up a few times because... hasn't it so, because Kevin Lyons told me to watch Ghost Watch, I ordered yeah. it. I still haven't got around to watch it. So don't uh, you tell will, Kevin. Though. Don't tell Kevin. But I've got it. I've I've made yeah. progress on it. So. Well, that was that was that was so high up. It is a masterpiece, and it is ah uh, yeah, it is it is a masterpiece. It you it will take you by surprise. I think no matter how preposterous elements of it seem because of the time that's passed since it was on, yeah, um, you will you will go away feeling completely chilled by that i think i love showing ghostwatch to people because it's as it's as you know it's as much a funny experience because of the slightly retro elements of it as it is um a totally thrilling and 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 terrifying one i think you're in for a real treat but yeah the, I, but yeah yeah I, I i really am looking forward to watching ghostwatch but i'm also looking forward to finally getting around and seeing the others because yeah, you know banging. a lot of people have told me that it's it's fantastic so mm-hmm. Okay, it is. Uh, it is. The others is going on your shelf then, uh, with honourable mentions to Whistle and I'll Come to You and Ghost Watch. Yeah, I do. I I did imagine that would be the one that you would agonise over the the longest <sighs> because obviously Ghost Stories are very much your back. <laughs> really, really. I mean, I managed. I've managed. No spoilers to sneak another one in <laughs> later on uh, in a different in a different category. But yeah, there are. Uh, yeah, there are so. You know what. <sighs> I think it's one of my favourite 
genres. But the thing that I go to literary ghost stories for, the thing that I go to, like, you know, pick up a tome of M.R. James stories, the thing I go there for isn't often represented on screen, to be perfectly honest with you. Sometimes it's attempted and you watch the film and it's always maybe a little disappointing. Um, but The Others is one of those examples of a gothic ghost story that that manages to feel like a classic ghost story whilst also doing something really inventive and interesting um, and also being immediately scary and jumpy and tense and beautifully shot. Um, so I, I really think it is, is um, quite a special, quite a special example. I think the, the, the Gothic, um, the, the Gothic in ghost stories as well. I think it's particularly, potent because you know at that point in society repression was just it was the order of the day it's just yeah. the number of times where in in ghost stories ghosts manifest as a direct result of a repressed secret memory yeah. feeling act or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i yeah. think it's that that sort of the the button down not wishing to appear you know um threatened or not wishing to appear put off by these bizarre instances happening so yeah, yeah. I, I i completely agree with you on, on the gothic you must experience. get back to me as soon as you've watched it do you know anything about it do you know anything about the plot i think i know the thing at the end ah, no that's a shame okay I well that's all right nevertheless that... i think you'll i think you'll have a, a good time with it um I, I will i will get in touch as soon as i've watched yeah. it and just be like adam yeah, yeah. you are 100 percent right that's <laughs> or not maybe you'll maybe not maybe you'll say hated it <laughs> right fantastic i mean uh let's go for your fifth disc then adam what is your favorite horror tv show can i do the around the houses thing again yes because... <laughs> please do i i very much enjoyed these whistle stop tours because there's just a ton um and I, I I grew up watching um, the X Files. The X Files very nearly made it, but to be honest, I I don't even think I've seen every episode of the X Files. So to say it's my favourite is probably a little bit disingenuous. Um, and also, there's a lot of stuff in there that I I think you know was the conspiracy stuff that isn't necessarily proper horror and whatever. The X Files I loved though as a kid. The first sort of two three series of X Files I was utterly utterly obsessed. I wanted to be a ufologist for the longest time <laughs> because and I told my mum that that's what I was going to do. Uh, wow talk about horror the look on her face was a picture um and i had this sort of um cd rom um on uh, ufos and sort of copied and pasted the text into a word file thinking that this was sort of research, research. yeah exactly yeah, exactly yeah yeah i did similar things yep <laughs> yeah um but the, before that was the outer limits that was on tv that I, I i thought that was incredible there's some um images from that burned into my memory you know a brilliant anthology show um I very nearly alighted on uh, something that would have made you very happy, Joe. And I can see the anticipation in your eyes. Midnight Mass, very nearly, like so close until today, (laughs) was my answer. And it is astonishing. But because a couple of people have said it, I sort of, you know, I've been listening to the podcast and I sort of wanted to try to be a little bit unique. Um, so I'm going to go with something that's about to come back really, um, really soon, which is Yellow Jackets. Because I, th- I thought it was astonishing. I-, I was so surprised by it. My partner does not like horror at all. Um, I have to stealth, uh, sort of stealthily sneak horror onto our screen if we're going to watch something together. She just doesn't like it. It isn't for her. It genuinely makes her heartbeat 
way way faster than is healthy for her i've seen it happen on her fitbit like what we, we watched a few um a few months ago we ended up watching ah uh, now what's that ah uh, it was on disney plus um barbarian no uh, uh, longer ago than that oh my goodness um it's not raw but it's something about uh, uh, the menu no uh, it'll come to, i'll try it'll come to me anyway okay. we're watching this film and um uh, she, uh, it's Daisy Edgar Jones is in it. Oh, uh, fresh, fresh. We were watching fresh. I was, uh, I was kind of, you know, enjoying it. She came in from a night out. My partner, she said, what are you watching? And I said, it's horror. You're not going to like it. You know, I'll come and say hello in a bit. And she, for some reason came and sat down beside me and watched the rest of the film. And that was like three quarters of the film. And, but at the end of the film, she turned to me and she said, this is why I can't watch horror. And she showed me her Fitbit and honestly her heart rate was like something like 120 like or something it was it was absolutely wild and mine was like you know plodding along at 70 or 68 or whatever um so I have to sneak these things onto our TV or I have to sort of get assurances that it's not too scary now I think Yellow Jackets is contains some of the most disturbing gnarly stuff that I've seen in a long time possibly ever on a TV show but I think it is utter triumph i loved it from start to finish i was totally riveted i didn't mind too much even that you know we don't get all the answers at the end of the first series which is sometimes a source of frustration the performances were utterly stunning and again some of the images um i don't want to give too many spoilers but i'm just going to say eating dirt um a a tattooed onto my brain um i think it's a total triumph so weighing things up the amount of joy um that i got from watching a horror tv show i think it has to be yellow jackets but believe you me joe midnight mass is (laughs) such a close second i watched that in the fog of covid um, I, i dodged covid for the longest time Got it really, really late on the hottest day. You remember the hottest day on record was like 40 degrees? Yeah. That's when I was um, um, going through the whole COVID um, recovery. Stuck on Midnight Mass and kind of watched it. um, And the combination of the sort of strange feveriness and watching it was was oddly enjoyable. Um, Mm. But no, I, I love it. But yeah, my answer is Yellow Jackets. Well, I mean, it's it's very very sweet of you to uh, to have listened to the to the podcast and been familiar yeah. with you know the you know my my feelings on Midnight Mass being amazing, but th- that's really really sweet that you've just gone okay. Well, you know, I want to go with something slightly different. <laughs> so, Yellow Jackets. I so the um one of the other things that I do is I do a podcast with my friend Rich called the Co Pilots Podcast, and we mm. talked about Yellow Jackets um earlier this year. Actually, it was uh, we because we we compare the pilot episodes of two TV shows that share a theme and then just, you know, chat about them. It essentially, it ends up with us just saying how much we love Gilmore Girls. Um, right. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, Yellow Jackets was one that came up. And the so and so this is where my caveat is with this. I have only seen the pilot, which is oh, okay. true of now hundreds of shows because we've been doing that show for seven years. Um, but... What I did see in Yellow Jackets was it started to show a couple of like folk horror images, and I don't know what it is about folk horror and witches mm. are two of the most scary things that can populate my brain, mm-hmm. and just seeing like as it starts to creep into that sort of thing towards the end of that episode and yeah. 
the fact that you've got the ninety stars coming back for it as yeah. well, like oh my god, yeah, I, I, yeah, I did Ritchie. enjoy it. Yeah, um, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing Yellow Jacket. I, I think it's, I think it's a total triumph. I properly loved it, and I can't wait for, um, I can't wait for the second series, which is on its way. And I very nearly bought my partner a Yellow Jackets, you know, the the football team <laughs> a T-shirt. But I had to stop and go. Nah, this is not a gift for her. This is this is because <laughs> this is because I want to wear that t-shirt, but I don't really wear I, I don't really wear t-shirts uh, very often. Just a t-shirt. So um, I realised it was going to be a gift that I would give to her, and she'd be like, "Ah, oh, thanks, cheers, cheers. And, and never wear it." <laughs> thanks very much. Look, just opening that, my heart rate's gone up again. Yeah, so exactly. But nice no, but one. she really enjoyed it actually. Again, the only frustrating thing um, that she found was that it was. Um, it didn't tie everything up at the end of the first series, which it's not going to do, is it, in a TV show? But but she really, really enjoyed it. So I was delighted because it's, it's very rare that we get to um, share these things. Yeah. So, that, so that, that does lead me to wonder then, Adam, how mm. does she cope like with your stage shows? I get in trouble. <laughs> I get in trouble. We've been together for 15 years um, and... Uh, uh, Yes, this is what I do. It's a huge part of my life uh, and it is my job. Um, and she will come and see shows, bless her heart, will come and see shows enthusiastically, eagerly. And she's my biggest supporter. She really is. And my biggest, um, yeah, just my biggest yeah, cheerleader in, in that in that regard. Hmm. Um, so, so, so supportive. Um, and uh, we'll come along, but then afterwards we'll say it was too scary. <laughs> Which is usually a good, it's a compliment because she'll say, "Yeah, it's, is yeah. it a good barometer?" Is yeah. it? Yeah, maybe that's like that's perhaps what you should base your sort of reviews on now. Is like, yeah. okay, well, how high can we get her heart rate? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lovely stuff. Okay, so yellow jackets is going on your shelf. Fantastic. Uh, which horror movie has your favourite jump scare then, Adam? The orphanage. Is it the double? The, yes. the, the double it jump is. scare. Oh, it is. It phenomenal. is. Uh, and yeah, I, The Orphanage is a film that I adore, but I haven't seen it all that many times. And mm. that's because I adore it as much as I do. Um, there were a few films that I, that I, the first couple of, the first couple of times watching them are so precious and so, um, part of my sort of horror journey, my horror psyche, whatever you want to say, um, that I just they, they're they're a little too precious to keep revisiting. Mm. I can chuck on Scream a hundred times. I adore it. I could put it on now. Um, I adore it, and I don't think it it spoils from rewatching. Uh, there are a few films that I I feel do, and I uh, and The Orphanage is one of them. So I've only seen it a few times, but I remember being in the cinema, and that's yeah the the bang bang um is is incredible and and so unexpected because what you have is a director that shows early doors that he is in control and he is not going to take cheap shots unless it is necessary to do so so you remember there's a, a scene where we are with the character the main character looking underneath the bed and your heart rate's going, you're thinking, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And nothing happens. Mm. And we return to the top of the bed. And in that moment, we don't get that cheap jump scare, which is brilliant in so many films. I love that sort of 
uh, that cheap shot. I, I'm guilty of it myself in some of my shows. Um, I think it's so effective and, and fun. But I think that's the director telling us, I know what you're expecting here. I know, mm. but I've got you. I've got you. Um, and I also, you know, it's a, it's a, a triumphant movie. It's so beautiful um, and emotional and um, and rich uh, and just a brilliant ghost story. But yeah, there's that fabulous jump scare yeah that comes out of nowhere it seems we i think we we treat the orphanage the same you and i adam because Mm. it's exactly that it's one of the most affecting horror films that i've seen but also it's it really is it's that richness of it it's like it's almost it's it's like a real dense decadent chocolate pudding it's like okay (laughs) you have it like maybe once a year but when you have it my god is it that's it you know that's nicely put it's yeah. the, the I was checked it's funny actually because the, in in the, the previous two recordings of Spooky Shelf this has come up and I'm going to make the same point because I just mm. I like making it it's the fact that the horror of the situation of what has the the the, the mystery at the heart of the film mm-hmm. when because there's so much exploration into the supernatural and it's trying mm. to contact Simon through Tomas and mm. um, the other lady who comes and does the terrifying walk through the house and you're watching it through the camera and she's seeing all the kids and the ghosts but you don't see them. Because you've got all of this complicated, potentially, you know, not potentially, but this supernatural stuff. When you discover what's happened to Simon... Mm. It's mm-hmm. so mundane and mm-hmm. it's so explainable and it's yeah. so rational mm-hmm. that it makes it all the more devastating that oh it's just this happened and yeah. it's this tiny little detail it's just with the you know with the with the yellow poles sitting against the you know what I'm I'm talking about yeah 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 and it's just horrendous that you've got yeah. this overarching fantastical story about these mm-hmm. poor kids who have all suffered. Mm. But then, when it comes to Simon, it's just so. I, I totally agree. I, you know. I think. I think what I mentioned earlier, strangely in context of Nightmare on Elm Street, is if you can get a film that is is um, compelling and brilliant and has a fantastic story, and also to boot has a really um, satisfying backstory. Mm. I think you've you've hit the jackpot really. Imagine that. Imagine the 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 brilliance of of telling a story that people are totally enraptured by and hooked into and hooked on and then having this satisfying denouement at the end where you say and this is the cause of all of this. This is the mm. reason behind it. This is the story beneath the story. And I find the backstory to be one of the most important elements of ghost stories when i when i do ghost story writing workshops and courses i talk about the backstory a lot and if you can get if you can get the backstory right and execute it properly um you've nailed it think of the woman in black as well think of the backstory in the woman in black think of the story underneath the story and almost you could you could lift that out and you'd still have this riveting terrifying event laden um horror experience but you lay that on um, and you have this, uh, you know, this rich chocolate cake, as you, <laughs> as you said, <laughs> that yeah. becomes very satisfying. Yeah, it's it's also weirdly gentle. The, yeah. the, the discovery of what happens to someone yeah. because it gives 
is it I can't remember is it Belen Rueda's character she she has the moment of mm. oh he's here and then it's not like a violent no he just slips away and then it's, oh it's stunning it's yeah it's so sc- this is what I mean by a, a, I, I feel I feel um, all the way through where 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 being shown by the director that he is in control that mm. that he he understands the story he's telling and and how to uh, how to tell it yeah 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 to, to borrow a phrase from from Toby Poser when she was on talking about let the right one in it's it's a still hand on the camera isn't it it's a mm. very, yeah, yeah it's, totally totally it, is yeah it's it's definitely worth it if you've not seen the orphanage oh my god. What are you doing? Go and it watch is, it. It is. It is about. <laughs> I once um, recommended the orphanage to some people I was working with, and um, they all said, uh, or a few of them said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I've seen that." And we, we were talking about, it and they were describing it. And um, I think it took us about half an hour to realize, half an hour of polite conversation to realize <laughs> that they were talking about the orphan. Um, <laughs> Oh, often, often should I say, often, um, and it, yeah, we would, we would do that really polite thing where people would say something like, "Oh yeah, that bit where she sort of like burns the house down," and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." yeah. <laughs> yeah. And oh, I'm fantastic. saying, "Oh, you know the bit with the ghost child?" Um, oh yeah, oh, yeah. That, uh, missed yeah. that bit. It must have been yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And am I right in thinking that um, Bayona, uh, Jay Bayona, who directed it, also did the the um, the soundtrack is that? Am I right about the orphanage? Or, oh, really? Or is that no? No, I say I'm wrong. That's that's the others. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the others. The director um, did the soundtrack. That's I was mixing the two things up, just sneakily googling as we're talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said before, I have a mechanical keyboard, so uh, if I'm typing, you can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get away <laughs> with yeah, stealth yeah, yeah. googles. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, Alejandro uh, Amenabar who d- who directed the others. Mm. Also, I think did the uh, the soundtrack. Pretty like sure. A, yes, he did. He a did. Spanish name. I wonder if there's a, yeah. a propensity for sort of ghost stories in Spain as well. A tradition of ghost stories there, perhaps. I don't know. Worth yeah. having a look into. I reckon. I think every every um, every, every culture, culture has does, has it? has its yeah has its own culture of of ghost stories, and there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of similarity, but also you'll find a lot of nuance and a lot of um, originality and it's always worth kind of seeking out ghost stories from different cultures I'm, I'm fascinated I'm fascinated by the differences and the similarities um, of ghost stories from, from different cultures a hundred percent I mentioned to Kevin Lyons I heard this on a, on a podcast with Andy Nyman saying you know there's a, a straight line you can draw between gothic you know Victorian ghost stories and Japanese ghost stories absolutely because, yeah. a, again it's about repression and not wishing to upset society and all that yeah. sort of thing so and again, again, looking at the ring, it maps very, very neatly onto a neat structure for a ghost story. Yeah. You have that brilliant backstory, mm-hmm. um, which just becomes incredibly satisfying at the end. Lovely stuff. Okay, The Orphanage, and yeah, it's, it, I, I adore that film. So, The Orphanage is your your sixth disc on there, Adam. So, I'm going to ask you now for your seventh disc, and mm. regular listeners will know this is my favourite question of all of them. <laughs> hence, why it comes in the middle. Uh, which horror movie had the most emotional effect on you? It's a good question, this, and it's a tricky one, isn't it? And I've heard yeah. a few of your guests, you know, philosophically asking, what do we mean by emotional effect? And, <laughs> I, and I had the same process going on. Um, my answer is The Blair Witch Project. Um, and it it's quite hard to articulate why, but I'll try. Um, mm-hmm. When I went to see The Blair Witch Project, I was still in that strange hinterland of, of not knowing... 
whether it was real or not. I was fairly sure that it wasn't. So I saw it in the, in the, in the cinema. I was fairly sure that it wasn't. But I had been reading um, music magazines was sort of my, my thing at the time. Like uh, I, think, I think it was called Select. I don't think it exists anymore. Um, and uh, I think Mojo as well. And a few and, and Q. And a lot of them had film reviews in. And there was just this mythology already um, growing around the Blair Witch Project. My mum also used to um, uh, run a newsagent um, at that time. And... I can't even remember which newspaper it was, but the legend of Ellie Kedwood, this little thin uh, paperback thing that, that I don't even know who it was published by, was came with one of the newspapers and I ended up um, taking one home and, and read it cover to cover. Um, and I just remember going to the cinema jangly. I was feeling so weird and and you know, not sure what, what to expect. Sat down and watched it. And the landscape that you, you're you sort of taken through in that film was so oddly similar to the places that I used to play as a kid. So I grew up in Yorkshire um, and we would go to the moor and the moor would have these sort of spindly thin trees uh, like in little copses. And we'd also go down into the valley and stuff and there'd be these little forest areas. And it just looked like the places I used to go and play. Mm. And it just felt so familiar and so odd to be watching this film, which was kind of mundane and, and in its content was, was mundane and, and, and everyday and just this kind of meandering through the trees for a lot of it. And even when you get to the bit where they find that old house in the woods, again, that sort of building, that sort of stone structure um, was so common to stumble upon when I was growing up and playing sort of in the woods. (laughs) Um, And uh, it it felt so real to me. It felt like I I was with them in the forest in this bizarre way. And then, of course, you get these um, beautifully judged moments of you know the the corn dollies that you that you sort of see a little bit and then see a little bit better you get the bundle of twigs uh when one of the characters uh josh has, has sort of run off and and disappeared um you get the you know the the walkthrough of the house itself and the half glimpse sort of paint and handprints on the wall and things like that um it just felt so plausible so real so close to experiences that I felt like I had and was having growing up in a really odd way. Um, Yeah. And I remember um, at the time, I think I was, I think I was with my girlfriend at the time, you know, I say girlfriends, we were sort of 15 or whatever. It was like school girlfriend. And um, I remember we all went off after the um, film um, to go to the toilet and then sort of meet back. And she said when she got, when she went to the bathroom, she basically couldn't wash her hands because her hands were shaking so much. She'd been totally fine all the way through, was almost bored and dismissive until the last sort of 10 minutes of that film. Mm. Um, And then afterwards, I was obsessed with it. And I used to spend, in IT classes at school, I would go on the Blair Witch website and I would, (laughs) I get I was that little researcher thinking it was, (laughs) knowing it wasn't real, but still wasn't prepared to, to completely dismiss the idea that it was um that it could be real um yeah and i i even bought the sequel and was a little bit obsessed with that i mean it's not it's not good is it but um uh but yeah so my yeah blair witch project is my answer it, it's funny actually the, the way you were, you were describing um your experience there adam of like recognizing almost mm. the the familiar surroundings and things when you were saying like you you felt 
jangly, but then you had this weird sort of sense of, I guess you could describe as uncanny, of seeing like something you recognise just, you know, completely recontextualised in in that way. I think you've actually articulated something that I've been trying to put into words about the woman in black for, Mm. you know, nearly 20 years now. Um, That like, it's that jangly that is perfect mm. the perfect word because for for six months after the women but that's that was what my fear manifested at, and i was it got to the point i was bored of being scared by her because mm. i was just constantly scared but there would be points i would just be looking around and just yeah. feeling that sort of buzzing energy of just like it literally could be anywhere yeah and also not like knowing it's not real but mm not willing to divorce myself from the idea that it was a possibility she could just come out of anywhere and and, yeah. and nab me you know so um yeah I, I i was having this conversation um with i think it was louise blaine on the on the, the podcast a little while ago and saying I, I don't i don't think we'll ever get that that sense of is this real or not again yeah maybe not not, not with feature films i think it it absolutely was a a perfect product of its timing and its yeah. marketing campaign i didn't even know that like this this little sort of book legend of elegant i didn't even know that was part of the promotional I, it, material it might have been like a little knockoff thing that the newspapers were doing though like i don't think it was necessarily a an official i don't know though it's, you know sometimes you get those things from newspapers and it's like it's not quite the book of the film but it's like here's a little thing and it, i don't think it was anything particularly official but it did go into it did go into the story of Ellie Kedward. It did go into the story of the Blair Witch, and um, yeah, and of course there was that documentary that they made, the f- the fake documentary about the missing filmmakers, and of course they basically disappeared for many many years. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I totally totally bought into it and and was obsessed was obsessed with it, and I still love it. I could again, it's another film I can watch mm. and watch and watch. I lo- I love it, and when people say they don't like it or they, you know, people would like what they one of course but when they say they don't like it I, I i find it very confusing because i just think it is such a masterpiece it's one of those films that i have a real blind spot about when people say yeah. they don't like it i'm just like are, are we talking me. about the same film <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you're dead to me yeah that's it never never speak to me again um but yeah 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 you're you're absolutely right yeah i mean it's, it's interesting that you know you cover it time couldn't wash your hands because but all the way through you said she was almost bored until the final 10 minutes yeah i think that's a lot of people's ex- people's experience and i think that's one of the big complaints about the Blair Witch project is that people said nothing happens but it if you're i subsequently became a fan of mr james and mr james i always say in a very affectionate way there's about eight pages of admin and yes. then and then two of, of, of horror. But what you will know about M.R. James if you read M.R. James is that those eight pages are absolutely crucial. Mm. And if you read it again, you start to spot all of the devil in the details. I don't think that I watch... I think that's, um, I think that's not a good... Um, I don't think it's a fair thing to say about the Blair Witch Project that it's that pe- this boring all the way through to the last 10 minutes. But mm. people do say that. Because I think the first... 20 minutes of the Blair Witch Project is some of the best um, setup folk horror, yeah, folk horror storytelling that that mm. exists on film. Where they're talking about Coffin Rock and and the murders at Coffin Rock, it's, I think it is. I honestly think it's a masterpiece. I think it's and, sensational. And the fact that the the final, the sort of the lasting, apart from you know um, the camera looking straight at, um, oh, I've completely forgotten her. her Heather, Heather, yeah, looking straight up Heather's nose. Apart from yeah. that, 
the the presiding image that everybody has is the guy stood in the corner. Yeah. And the fact that that comes from, you know, in a similar way, so much that throwaway detail yeah. that's not even, you know, it's literally mentioned once. It's like, yeah. Oh, you make him stand in the corner and kill one and then kill that one. Absolutely. And then that's the, your final frame almost. It's just, Absolutely. oh, yeah, it is. It's, it, it, yeah, I think you're right. And, and that comparison to MR James, I think, is it works. You know, I, I talk an awful lot about one of my favorite lines in, um, in A Warning to the Curious, which is one of my favorite MR James stories, where um, we learn that the, the, the antagonist um, in life died of consumption, died of TB. And we later have this detail of his ghost having um, a breathless, lungless laugh. And I've, I've mentioned this quite a bit in my ghost story workshops and things. And when I bring it up, a lot of people say, I didn't even I didn't even think about that. I just thought it was a creepy detail. But that's where I think there are good comparisons because nothing is really by chance, I think. I think everything has been considered. And there was lovely little parallels. It's like, mm. um, you know, quantum mechanics where one... <laughs> thing vibrates and the other thing later on in the film vibrates in the same way because they're sort of tied to each other that was a weird uh, metaphor <laughs> <laughs> i enjoyed it though it was, yeah there you yeah, go it illustrates the point so excellent stuff so the blair witch project is this seventh disc on your spooky shelf uh let's go for your eighth then what was your and actually it sounds like this could have been it um what was your best experience with a horror film in the cinema? It nearly was this. It nearly was Blair Witch, but I thought I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that because it's the same answer twice, isn't it? So this is this is a little uh, little bit sentimental, but it's um, it, it was what popped into my head straight away. So I should caveat this by saying, in case my partner ever does listen to this podcast, I have had many, many, many lovely, wonderful, memorable, exciting, fantastic experiences with my partner in, in cinema. But she doesn't like horror, so I can't include um, an experience with her as, yeah. uh, as my answer for this. Um, but last year um, at Fright Fest... Um, I went to see a film called Torn Hearts and one of the things that happens uh, at lots of film festivals is you have these other screens. So you have the main screen and you have you know other screens, discovery screens, as it's called at Fright Fest. I went to this film, Torn Hearts, uh, directed by Brea Grant. Um, and as it happened, it wasn't necessarily planned, but um, as I was walking in, there was me, there was Louise Blaine, there was Mike Munzer, Rob Watts, James Fraser Payne, Josh Tonks and Becky Dark, all in a row. We sort of found a row at the back. <laughs> and I've got a wonderful photo of us, kind of um, like the cheeky school kids at the back of the bus, um, in a row. And it was, to- I think maybe it was the last film of the night. I'm not sure, I can't remember. But I was so, and it's a weird thing because I'd seen them all the time. Uh, you know, I, they are they are the people I hang out with at Fight Fest. Um and it just, I think it just crystallised what I love about the community and particularly the community that Mike's created uh, through Evolution of Horror. Some of my dearest friends, um, I would say, uh, I made through Mike and and from that, um, from the podcast, including Mike. Um, and when I sort of was in the process of moving to London, I sort of met Mike at um, you know, Fright Fest a few years ago. And instantly just had that moment of 
feeling like I'd found my people. You know, you have that thing. And I've got, you know, I've got friends in all sorts of walks of life and I've got my theatre people um, and I've got my, you know, uh, my this and that people, um, my university pals and, and all that. But the horror people are, are, are you know, the, there's something very special about when you find people who are as passionate as you are about a particular thing. And, um, yeah, they're just very, very lovely and they're my good pals and we were all just sitting in a row by accident and we had a couple of drinks and we just laughed and cheered and and um you know flinched and jumped all the way through torn hearts and it's not a particularly horrory horror it is a horror film and it is intense um and there's a musical element to it as well there's a beautiful bit where um there's a a lovely moment of sort of harmonizing and it's this kind of uh, country style that I that I I quite like, um, and um, yeah, it was just a lovely, lovely thing. Uh, and I look at that picture when I see it, and I I'm very fond of it. And uh, yeah, it was a lovely moment. So if that's well, not too saccharine, that's <laughs> that's sort of the point of this podcast, Adam. It's to hear stories like that. So yeah. what an absolutely lovely memory to uh yeah. to commemorate on your spooky shelf that is there's a good, good lineup fantastic. as well like looking at that picture i'm like this is mm. sort of uh this is like evolution of horror all-stars mm, it's like um, the eoh avengers yeah <laughs> and i do apologize if i've forgotten anybody who's on that row who who um who i didn't mention but it's because i can't quite see them in that picture but i think it was <laughs> i think that i think it was me louise mike rob James, Josh, and Becky. I think that was all of us at that moment. But yeah, somewhere Brad Hansen is fuming. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Brad lots. Stuart. Actually, Brad, I loved. I love kind of checking in with Brad um, at Fright Fest. I love. He's he's a he's a really good barometer, um, and and he knows what I will like, and he knows what will drive me mad as well. He <laughs> more. I won't mention the film, but he more or less sent me to a film that I didn't end up seeing he more or less sent me to go see this film knowing I was going to be completely outraged. And he was, I think he was a bit disappointed when I couldn't get to see it. And he was like, you will hate it. He kept saying to me, you will hate it. <laughs> Excellent stuff. And yeah, I mean, you know, I've had, I've been lucky enough to have quite a few people who have, you know, I've been introduced to through listening mm. to Evolution. Well, but you know, people like yourself, Adam. Mm-hmm, I've mm-hmm. been lucky enough to, to have just, you know, an hour or so of their time just chatting yeah. horror with them. And everybody has been uniformly lovely. So, they yeah, are. it's it's an absolutely wonderful group of people that Mike has managed to, he, to put he has, together. And the community as well, the listeners to Evolution mm. of Horror. I have I have not met a single person who is into that podcast who isn't totally delightful and charming and interesting and lovely to spend time with. It is it's a bizarre thing that he's managed to do. Um mm. kind of curate the nicest people in the world. And so that is <laughs> that is the experience that I had in my very first um Fright Fest is that I, I went I sort of went up to Mike because I recognised him and we did I exchanged an email with him talking about you know what i do and blah 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 and um and yeah we we were sort of we we hung out for the whole week and uh met lots of other people that week and yeah and i've just become really good pals with with lots of people um who who have been guests on that podcast and they, it's they're just lovely and yeah 
<laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful stuff. So torn hearts, but more than anything, it's it's got a. a, a what I'm going to do, Adam? I'm going to convert that picture into a lovely Polaroid for you. Just yes, stick please. that on the front of the DVD yes, of torn hearts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, to be completely fair, just I know this is you know sort of evolution of horror love in now, but mm. that, it's that's kind of the reason this podcast exists is because yeah. I knew I wanted to do something with horror mm. and it largely has just come from, you know, uh, spending hours and hours of listening to, to Mike and, and everybody else on it. So yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, we, we owe, we owe them quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a good um, egg. Let's go for your, for your ninth uh, film then, Adam, what's the most underrated horror film? Do you think? All right. So this, uh, speaking of evolution of horror, um, uh, oh, I was—I forgot to mention something, which is in the last answer. Torn Hearts. Uh, Josh from the Blair Witch Project is in it, so there's a nice little oh, connection, no which I forgot to say. Anyway, <laughs> I was too busy, um, you know, speaking uh, positively about the lovely people from uh, from the podcast. Um, sorry. So most underrated. I'm going to go for a film that I spoke about on Mike's podcast. Um, not because people don't love it, because everybody who I think knows it l- loves it, but I think not enough people know it, um, and that is Pontypool. <gasps> yes, Pontypool. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely Pontypool. brilliant. Which is um, this quiet, strange, really smart uh, zombie movie, which is, it's I, I love it so, so much. Um it is a. It is this, one of the strangest horror films I think I've ever seen that that still has a relatively coherent narrative mm. through line. Um, it's a really odd film, and it is. It, I think it's endlessly smart and endlessly fascinating. And there's some stuff in there to do with. I, I feel there's some. Well, there definitely is because it's mentioned to do with like critical theory and people like Roland Barthes and, and people like that. And if that's your thing, if if you're sort of interested in that and you enjoyed studying that, or you do enjoy studying that, or you in, you know you you sort of find that element of philosophy interesting, you're gonna love the film anyway. If that's not your thing, if you're not necessarily into that stuff, there's still a ton in that movie to enjoy. Um, so I don't I don't find it to be snobby. Or, or, or sort of lofty in any in any way, um, because I think it's satisfying in lots of other ways. But if you do happen to be into that stuff or have an interest in it, um, I, I just I think it's so so brilliant. It has a counterpart, weirdly, I think, in Birdman, uh, which isn't a horror film at all. The Michael Keaton uh, movie that that for me does a similar thing in terms of the things it's saying underneath the things it's saying. Um, uh, you know, subtextually, I think they they share a gene or two. But yeah, Pontypool, I think, is is brilliant. Amazing uh, central performance, all about language, all about the power of language, all about the dangers, potentially, of language. Um, and when I spoke to Mike about it, um, yeah, I, I felt that like it was more relevant than ever, actually, that film, the idea of of, of broadcasting language and, and the, the potential for... Um, going to say infection but it's not quite the word i mean the potential mm. the potential for an idea spreading i suppose in in not necessarily a positive way um yeah i think it's a masterpiece have you seen it joe well this is quite a nice little circular narrative here adam because 
I listened to that episode of the evolution of horror where you spoke about Pontypool, and as a direct result, mm-hmm. I went and watched Pontypool. Hey, that's great. <laughs> I'm really pleased about that. Yeah. And what did you think? I absolutely adored it. Like, yeah. it, on the surface, it is quite an odd idea that it's something in what was, you know, going out. But yeah. the way it, it sticks with it, and it just goes, no, no, we, we have complete confidence in this idea, and mm. we can make, you know, some very good points while we're, we're going along the way. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. As someone who's like, you know, I've spent quite literally half of my life with earphones in, listening to podcasts, listening to talk yeah. radio, listening to audiobooks. I listen to hundreds of thousands of hours of people mm-hmm. just talking into a microphone. And so that it really it ticked off something in my head for that of, you know, making a real quality film yeah. just, you know, around that. And then the fact that it's, you know, it does something new with zombies because I think it came out That's at it. the time. It was just on the cusp of the big zombie boom that happened towards mm-hmm. the sort of the late noughties into the early 2010s. Mm. But it, it still it did something that was so different. You're absolutely right. Not enough people have seen it. If, if you've not yeah. seen Pontypool, it's it's incredible. It is really stunner. really good. It's well worth yeah. your time. Yeah, that's a great yeah. show, Adam. I love it. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Okay, Pontypool is up there for sure. I'm very pleased about that one. No one's mentioned Pontypool, and I hadn't thought about it for quite a while. But now I've, I might have to go back. Well, and this is why. It, yeah, so. and this is what I mean. Like under- underrated is tricky, isn't it? Because yeah. I, I had things like You're Next on there because that's not mentioned enough for me. I had um, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night um, on there, which I think is a, 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 an absolute. Oh, it's a masterpiece. Um, and I also had Ready or Not on there, because I think when Ready or Not came out, loads of people preferred Knives Out. And I know they're not the same sort of film, but they were sort of in the same ballpark. And I think Ready or Not's brilliant. But yeah, um, yeah, uh, not enough people have seen Pontypool. Yeah, Ready or Not is exceptional, but it contains one of the worst sort of woundings. I've seen it's when she's climbing out of the thing and she gets her like wrist impaled. Oh! Yeah. yeah, it's gross. It's so gross. Minging. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go for your your tenth film then, Adam. What's the last film you watched that scared you? Um, I was thinking about this hard, and I think the answer is Saint Maud. Um, it it's not necessarily the obvious answer in terms of you know terrifying, um, jumpy, um, ghost train ride of a film. Not like that at all. But the whole atmosphere chilled me to the bone. Mm-hmm. The conviction uh, of the central character all the way through, uh, and the the fear that I had for her all the way through um, was was unrelenting. I think it is such a brilliant film. Um, yeah, I really, really, really liked it. And you know, speaking of horrible injuries, oh. um, I shall I shall just I shall just say Converse. Oh my god! And uh, and oh. leave it there. So, I saw those as well at the um, Somerset the House. Horror show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me and Becky and Mike went down, um, and we, yeah, we saw that and the the puppet from Possum. And, it, it was funny yeah. actually because obviously, like knowing a lot of people in the the horror community, 
we all just ended up with the same photos. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> For like yeah. the last week yeah. of February, everyone was posting the same thing. So I lost my yeah, shit yeah, that yeah. I saw those shoes at, um, at Somerset House as well. Because yeah. I think I went like a couple of days after you guys went. Uh-huh, um, okay. But yeah, no, St. Maud, I think for my money, I, you know, if I had to say what my favourite horror movie from the last five years was, I probably would say St. Maud. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, and I said this to um, uh, John and Toby from the Adams family who made Hellbender, they were mm-hmm. on the podcast the other week. And I mm. said to them, it falls into this sort of subgenre of horror that I didn't really know existed, but I'm trying to find more that fit into that category of you don't know whether to be scared of your protagonist or for yeah. your protagonist. It yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it plays that balance really, really well. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And, I totally agree. You f- there's, a, there's a sense of like wanting to intervene somehow. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you yeah. want to shake her and go, just, just stop. But you know it's not going to do any good because there is indeed several characters who say to her, do you want to just chill out a bit? And she just no, no. I'm still, you know, me and the big man. We're yeah. still, we're still tight. What um was there any one particular scene that scared you more than any, or it, was it just the overall? I think it's the. I mean, certainly the the stuff with the um with with the shoes is is really horrible because yeah. it's not just the it's not just the the palpable physical agony of that it, it, it's that thing of conviction it's that thing of her being sure that she's you know been spoken to by god and and um it, yeah that i i find i find her absolute adamant state all the way through the film or or the growing adamant state i suppose really really disturbing and distressing and awful and of course you know one of the most glorious and terrible um endings and yeah. i mean terrible in terms of what it shows rather than uh, the quality because the quality is incredible but yeah I, I i i cannot wait to see what rose glass does next as a director mm. um so excited to to see what comes next because yeah i was delighted with it i thought it was incredible it, it's an extraordinarily confident debut isn't it it's it, it really is yeah and it actually it really is just tying back to i mean as i will try with everything tying it back to <laughs> midnight mass <laughs> yeah oh yeah sure that sort of piety that you yeah. get from maud i actually yeah. don't know if she's worse or not than bev keen or you know mrs yeah. carmody from uh the mist you know, I, I, I feel of I feel a vulnerability with more. Yeah, you don't get that with the, Bev the, at all. And, but, and yeah. yeah, and it doesn't feel. For the, I'm, I'm now like worried in case I say something that isn't quite reflected in the film, but it doesn't feel vindictive for vindictive sake, mm. or, or it doesn't even feel hypocritical. Because you get a sense that she so fundamentally believes, that grows true. in her, or grows in her belief. I suppose. If, I, d- I don't, but you know, it's it, you know, it's also a while since I've seen it. So, I mean, if we were to just to follow that that the line that you, you brought up there about you know the the vindictiveness and the the hypocrisy of it, mm. I suppose the argument could be made that if you examine them just through their final moments, mm. Bev Keen's final moments she loses face and she starts trying yeah. to tunnel to try and get away from yeah. what's coming. Maud absolutely embraces it. So Convic- I th- yeah, the, it's the conviction. Yeah. Yeah. There's an argument. And, 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 almost, and almost that is, is it's almost something, well, there's something way sadder about that and, and, and way 
more difficult and scary. I, suppose I think. Also, anyway, but we, we've had evidence that Maud has been, you know, at least if not a nice person, that you know she used to be in the health service. She used to try to help people. Yeah. I suppose. So. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. I think, and the complexity of the character, and yeah, I, I don't know. It, I was so kind of bewitched by it as, mm. as, as a movie. Um, and it, I think a lot of it was filmed in Scarborough, if yes. I'm not wrong. Yeah. Um, and I sort of grew up going to the seaside occasionally in Scarborough. And, and also um, one of my plays was on a, a student drama festival there. So Scarborough sort of is, is part of my past as well. <laughs> um, and I think, I'm pretty sure that Maud has a... Um, I can't remember the name of the character or the actor, which is really frustrating. She reconnects with somebody on the on the promenade. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I was watching it with my friend, and I, I may have got this wrong, but I think we went to uni with that actor's sister. <laughs> no way. Or, or, but we weren't like pals with her. Yeah. Or I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily. But when I saw her on screen, I was like, oh, I think I know her. But it was because I knew her sister, and I don't know if they're twins or anywhere they look kind of alike. Um, <laughs> but it was one of those weird moments of like, we're in Scarborough, we've got the Coney Island um, amusements, and then we, I see this face that's familiar to me in this film that's already disturbing me. So it was a real heady mix. <laughs> You've got a real propensity for recognizing things and people in horror movies, haven't you? <laughs> Excellent yeah. stuff. Also, one of the best jump scares that I've seen ever. As well. uh-huh. Yeah, it, it gets me every time. Every time it gets me. Yeah, it's a it's it's, it's a per, that juxtaposition of the sort of heavenly, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, image that could be seen in like a you know one of the masters paintings or something, versus that that visceral, violent, bodily uh, moment. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Oh. Fantastic film. I love St. Maud. Um, let's move on to your 11th disc then, Adam. What's the best mm. death or kill you've ever seen in a horror movie? I'm going to go for um, Dead Snow. Have you seen Dead Snow? I've got a feeling that I, I may have started it and then got distracted or something. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. Describe I haven't, to me what I haven't seen it for a, I haven't seen it for a long, long time. It's basically... Uh, a, a good way to describe it is basically Nazi zombies in the snow attack a bunch of people in the snow. Brilliant. It's a Norwegian um, comedy horror, and the particular scene I'm talking about is where um, a man is in a cabin. He gets a bit close to the window. A zombie puts his arms through the window and pulls a man's head in half like a fucking orange. <laughs> it's, abs- it's absolutely brilliant. It's really, really good. It's, it's, it's. One of those moments where you, you you're laughing and squirming and jumping um, at the same time. It's I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's a really brilliantly judged scare. Uh, but no, it's it's a film I haven't seen for a long time. But I really really enjoyed it. It's really really fun. Um, and uh, yeah, it, that that particular moment is uh, very memorable. <laughs> so what I really really appreciate about the horror genre is. I think probably within, you know, sort of two, three minutes ago, we were discussing, you know, <laughs> the virtues of uh, of two separate characters and uh, their conviction to their religion. And it was quite a lofty conversation. And then less than five minutes later, we're going, yeah, he pulls his head apart like a fucking orange. <laughs> yeah. That is the beauty of horror, isn't it? That is the thing. That is, it is at once 
really, really fun and daft, and you get that from it in one area of the genre, and properly moving and affecting mm. and almost akin to a spiritual experience on the other. <laughs> um, the director of Dead Snow is a man called Tommy uh, Workola, I think, or it might be Verkola. I'm not sure how to pronounce his surname. I apologise. Mm-hmm. Um, and his most recent film is Violent Night, which I haven't ah. seen yet, but everyone's been raving about. So, yeah, so that's kind of exciting. That I, And I hadn't made that connection. I didn't know that when I selected Dead Snow. Um, but everyone's raving about uh, Violent Night. So Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't catch that one. I did want to because it looked like just, you know, good christmas gory fun which yeah. i guess you know with the snow and nazi zombies is very much you could say that this is it snow, snow and violence maybe is his thing yeah to be fair um, blood does look wicked on snow so <laughs> this is the thing this is the thing yeah i wonder if dead snow stands up you know i i just haven't seen it in such a long time i, I will have to um, go and watch it this is brilliant because i'm getting a lot of things on this list that i need to go away and see um, yeah i think yeah. dead snow's had a few sequels by this point as well so. i think it has i haven't seen any of the sequels um, didn't think it necessary to, but maybe I'm wrong. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, there's one called uh, uh, Dead Snow Two: Red versus Dead, apparently, and also directed by Tommy um, Workola though. That's encouraging, so, I suppose. You know, maybe it is. Maybe it is worth checking out. Worth we'll give it a look then. Okay, Dead Snow, excellent stuff. Head pulled apart like a fucking orange. I've made a note of it. <laughs> Um, you're... You you watch that scene and you'll be like, he's oh, absolutely said. right. That is exactly <laughs> what happens. That is a good description. It's one of those scenes as well. Sorry to circle back, no, where not... where the the cut is so nicely done, the the camera work is so nicely done, the edit is so nicely done that it really feels like that's exactly what you've seen a man get his head sort of pulled apart by zombies. <laughs> you don't for a moment think, oh, we've moved into you know plasticine or whatever. Mm. It's really really well done. I. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, yeah. I caught that up on YouTube. That one moment, it's there on YouTube to watch the moment if you want to. But yeah, oh, I'm a hundred percent gonna watch Dead Snow after this, then for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, your twelfth disc. You said before we start recording, you mm. kind of struggled with this one. So let's really let's did. go through some some like honourable mentions, and then maybe we can land on one. Or maybe we'll just do like a Frankenstein box set version of it or something. Yeah, that, I'd like that. Okay, let's it's do really, that then. It's cheating, isn't it? So so you asked me to pick my favourite horror director. Mm. Uh, sorry, a film by my favourite horror director. I don't think I have one. Um, I don't think I have a favourite horror director. I love Wes Craven. I love John Carpenter. Um, obvs, I love Jordan Peele. Um, I, there are many directors whose work I love, but I... I, I in the way that you talked about having gaps, I have big gaps with lots of these people. So yeah. I haven't seen all of Wes Craven's horror output. I haven't. I don't absolutely adore all of John Carpenter's horror output. Robert Eggers, uh, when I saw The Witch, I was like, this is one of my favourite films ever. And if he'd stopped there, yes. I think I could have said that. I haven't seen The Lighthouse, so I don't know if I love it or not. Ah, okay, yeah. I have no idea. I struggled with The Lighthouse. I do think The Witch I, is a perfect. A lot of people have said that. The Witch is yeah. brilliant. but It is a perfect film. The Lighthouse yeah. is a little, I don't know. Jordan Peele could have been there because I loved um, uh, Get Out. I loved Us. Mm-hmm. 
I was more scared of us, I think, uh, than I was of, of Get Out. I haven't seen Nope, so it feels again a little bit disingenuous mm. to go. He's my favourite horror director. Now that's, um, that's interesting because I think I have the same with uh, Jordan Peele as, as you do Robert Eggers. Like, had he stopped at mm. us, uh, okay. <laughs> I'd have been like, oh, what a, what a double yeah. hit. But Nope is it's it's a film that I I I, I really admire it. Yeah, and I can appreciate it way more than I enjoyed it. Uh-huh. Um, just wasn't okay. for me, but there's some there's some amazing stuff in it. But I, I do think mm. that Us is probably my favourite of his. Get Out is yeah. perfect, but yeah, he's, it, oh yeah, a, a, a stunning thing. Jennifer Kent's another one. The Babadook, I thought it was utterly, utterly stunning. Haven't seen The Nightingale. Haven't seen anything else. Um, uh, I don't even know if Jennifer Kent's directed any more features other than those two. I'm not sure. Ari Aster loved Hereditary, loved uh, Midsommar, but. Um, um, uh, is he my favorite director? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like I, do, I really loved Hereditary. I don't know. I don't know. Rose Glass. Well, incredible, yeah. <laughs> incredible debut. But it. But can you say it's? I don't know. So I really struggled with this. I, mean, I, don't, we'll, I know a lot. Of, uh, let's let's make a box set then. We can have one <laughs> from each. We can have a Craven, okay. a Carpenter, a Peel, oh, an yes, Eggers, please. a Kent, an Aster, and a Glass. Oh. There we go. <laughs> oh my god! I really feel like I've hacked the system here. Ah, it's fine. But yeah, it's your shelf, yeah. Adam. You say what you like. Yeah, it's my shelf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> back off, back off, everyone. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. All right, so we'll just put like the best of. Yeah. Oh, now yeah. that's what I call horror directors. There you go. Very nice. <laughs> or what about like a disc that I don't get to choose, but it's like a shuffle function. Yeah. It, 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 I th- oh, we had someone else. I made one. Well, I made one of those for someone else as well. I think okay. it was uh, for Kevin Lyons. I made one for him. Okay. I'll use okay. the same technology. We'll make yes, one for please. You as well, Adam, so. If you don't mind, <laughs> I would appreciate that. Yeah. Fantastic. We have come to your final selection, Adam. What's mm. your favourite horror film from the last five years? Struggle with this one as well. Um, There's been a lot. I think the yeah there are. I mean, it's been such a rich, such a rich five years. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about things like um, uh, Barbarian. I'm thinking of things like Host Us. Um, I'm even thinking of very playful, fun stuff like Orphan First Kill, which I watched on an aeroplane recently and had the best time. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. Um, little treats like Hatching I saw recently, which was incredible. Um, little quiet things like The Witch in the Window, Utter Triumph. His House, which was on Netflix and then disappeared from Netflix, which is really annoying because mm. that was a total masterpiece. But I think... In all honesty, hand on heart, the answer has to be hereditary. I know that lots of people must say hereditary. And it's only just in now, isn't it? Because it's like just five years. Is yeah. that right? This will be the yeah the, the, no. the first and last year that you can say hereditary. No. So let's get... So I, th- I mean, I'm gonna, I, I am going to be changing up the questions anyway. But, you know, uh-huh. for, for this thing, yeah. <clears throat> it's, it is incredible, hereditary. It is, it, it's, it's totally brilliant. I, I haven't had an experience with the horror film like it um the the marketing was so masterfully done because it absolutely told us that film was going to be something else yeah and brilliantly deceptive and then continued to change the sort of subgenre of horror as it yep. carries on as well it's you start absolutely you think oh it's going to be about this creepy kid and then yep. suddenly hereditary it's not 
yeah, uh, yeah, 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 girl. There you go. <laughs> and then, yeah, it, it, it wrong foots you a couple of times. And also, mm-hmm. I think Tony Kellett probably is my favourite actor of all time. I can she appreciate why that would be. Absolutely incredible, yeah. So, did Criminal you see that the... she didn't get um, an Oscar. No, 100%. Nom- nomination yeah. even, you know. Yeah, well, totally similar stunning. to um, Lupita Nyong'o as well for us. I feel yep. like she yep. absolutely deserved for both yep. those performances, you know. Yes, absolutely overlooked yeah yeah I, um I, I was in the cinema watching hereditary mm. and was just open mouth for a lot of it there was a it was really beautifully compounded by the fact that a man was in front of me who kept putting in his earphones <laughs> presumably because he was too scared to to listen to the thing and and when i say like it wasn't earplugs it was earphones so he had something else on <laughs> and he was sort of shoving them in his ears every sort of five minutes um so that would you know that really helped to to set the mood so to speak um yeah and the other thing that happened and i don't know what my body thought it was doing but there's a, a particular moment in uh, you're looking at me like very concerned don't worry about it we're, we're, <laughs> don't, you, don't you worry don't you worry. <laughs> this isn't going anywhere uh awful um uh, i was watching the bit in there's a bit in the bedroom mm-hmm. it's not the bit that everyone thinks something happens i'm not going to say what it was in case anybody hasn't seen it and my face suddenly went really, really hot. I don't know what this evolutionary advantage uh, was. Um, uh, I don't know what you know my body was trying to combat, but my face suddenly just went really, really hot as a, as a as a seemingly a, rea- a reaction to being scared. Mm. I I don't know you know it was the oddest thing in the in the world. Um, but yeah, I I I, lo- I loved it. Couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, I've never seen it since. Really? So that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I would be really interested to hear what, what you'd think about it on the second watch because um, I, I, I'm absolutely gutted that I never saw it in the cinema. I would have loved mm. to have seen that in the cinema for the first time. But mm. um, So I watched it the first time. It scared the shit out of me. It's absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal. I watched it again for the second time recently, showing it to a friend who's like... He's not big into horror, but he's sort of, you know, experimenting a bit with with, um, bits and pieces. So I'm kind of like taking him on a bit of a tour of this is what we've been doing while you've been watching all your crap. (laughs) Um, The second time round, I genuinely think it's a comedy. Interesting. It's really Mm. weird. So the bits that you're watching that in, well, for me, the bits that I was watching in the first one that, that scared me the most just became hilarious mm, i don't mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. i know that you know horror and comedy are obviously two sides of the same coin yeah but it it, it was almost like I, I i just missed it i just missed the funny side of it How the first time around yeah. so I'd, I'd be intrigued to see if you had a, a similar thing i i haven't i have no intentions to watch it again this is the thing. Oh, to preserve I, it in the same way as the orphanage, I, I, do you mean? Or? I've done this annoying thing, though, where I've called attention to it, Joe. So <laughs> it, it, for a while it was just because I just hadn't seen it. And now I'm actively avoiding watching it. And now that I'm talking about actively avoiding watching it, I'm quite stubborn. So maybe I never will see it again. I probably will, to be honest. But I I don't know what the... The only circumstances I can imagine seeing it again is if I was to sit someone down who'd never seen it. Mm who was into horror who appreciated horror and i don't know who that would be because it was such a big deal to horror fans i think and everybody has seen it mm. so i don't know who that would be um but if that opportunity comes up maybe that's when i'll see it but i can't imagine wanting to just chuck it on to be honest no there's a, it, there's a you know, lot of you know a lot of big emotional beats and yeah a lot of 
grief and genuine, you know, actual horror. There was actual revulsion mm. in, you know, the moment where he look he's he stops the car and he just mm-hmm. holds on him for ages. Lingers on him, yeah. It, it, almost in the same way that, you know, something like Michael Haneke's Funny Games lingers on the mm. suffering, which is the bit you don't normally see and what keeps horror fun. Yeah. The fact that you're then exposed to it, it is, it, it's not one that you just think, oh, Friday night, ah, oh, just pop a retro, have a beer and a pizza. This is the thing. You know? This is the thing. It's not, it doesn't, I mean, despite your, um, your rereading um, on your second watch, I, I, I don't think it strikes me as a fun horror film. But then again, maybe I should watch it because maybe it is. Maybe it's. Um, but yeah, it's. It, I think. I think. I loved it so so much, um, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's one of those films that's become quite special, mm. um, quite quickly. Absolutely, and again, as we were saying with Saint Maud, what a confident debut. You know, mm-hmm. so. totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I forget that. Yeah, I forget that it was a debut. <laughs> um, this is fantastic stuff, Adam. We've come to the the end. Your spooky shelf is oh. complete. Um, I'm going to read yes. back to you um, your selections just to run run through your uh, your spooky shelf in full. So, first up, we have. Uh, a dual DVD of Silver Bullet with Weird Science. I've, I've kept that on there, <laughs> on there for you. I don't know if I want Weird Science. <laughs> it's there for posterity. But I don't have to watch it, do I, I suppose? It. Yeah, it's yeah. Just... It's the memory of the object. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, fine, That's fine. It. Uh, <laughs> you have the 1992 Candyman with a note of consent from G, who owned the uh, the Sweet Shop video <laughs> rental store. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street via Final Destination, It Follows and Scream. Mm-hmm. Uh, the double bill with Home Alone is that uh, yes, and also partnered with Home Alone because they do end <laughs> in the same way. Um, yeah. The others with honourable mentions to Whistle and I'll Come to You and Ghost Watch, which I will go and watch like, immediately. Yeah, uh, Yellow Jackets with special mentions to Midnight Mass. Well done, correct. Uh, the X Files <laughs> and The Outer Limits, uh, The Orphanage, The Blair Witch Project, the super adorably sweet lovely edition of Torn Hearts with a <laughs> Polaroid of the UH crew on the top of it yeah um, Pontypool St. Maud Dead Snow and uh, your shuffle disc of Craven Carpenter Peel Eggers Ken Astor and Glass <laughs> <laughs> such a cheat I love it that's great ending in Hereditary Adam Z. Robinson mm-hmm. how do you feel about your spooky shit? I mean, it's it, because of that shuffle one. It's literally the perfect, indisputably, the perfect shelf, isn't it? No, I'm very, very pleased. I, I had one request about my shelf. Go for it. What's um, that? I I don't know if anyone has requested this yet, but I would like all my. I'd like them in Blu-ray format, yeah, right? Sure. Because because that is the best one, isn't it? Uh, whatever the highest, um, whatever the best quality is at the, at the time, that's what I want it to be, and I want it to upgrade automatically. Yes. But I want them to be presented in VHS boxes. Please. That's a fantastic shout. Yeah, that, that's, that's what just, I want. There's something a bit nicer just having a big chunky yeah. VHS box. Chunky wasn't shelf. There? Yeah. I genuinely yeah. miss having VHS. I also uh, realise. Yeah. We have an admission, because I promised you at the start of this, we were going to put an extra volume on your spooky shelf. So, Adam Robinson, which horror novel are you going to put up there on your spooky shelf? And this one, you ain't getting away with no shuffle disc, because you know what? (laughs) Paper's expensive, yeah? Don't grow on trees. So, (laughs) there you go, come on. One novel. Okay. 
and I can't have a Kindle up there, can I? Absolutely so, not. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a hard bastard on this one. Yeah, There's no wiggle yeah. room. <laughs> I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say House of Leaves. <gasps> the, uh, Daniel Zaluski? Mark said Daniel Zaluski. That's I, it, I think, yes. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah, but not necessarily because it's my favourite book that I've ever read. I think that wouldn't be right to say, but it is so endlessly fascinating and entertaining as an object and so horribly creepy and weird and long. Um, and you need to sort of hold a mirror up to it at certain points to read certain bits of it and, you know, turn it upside down and all this that I think I would just be endlessly entertained by it. So, um, and it's very, as I say, it's, I think it's maybe a thousand pages or something crazy like that. It's a really long book. Um, so yeah, I'll have House of Leaves, please. Wonderful stuff. Also, like, it's... I think it's the only found footage book I've ever read. <laughs> uh, this is it. This is it. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I'm going to I'm gonna bore on about M.R. James again, but you can find elements of found footage in M.R. James, as far as I'm concerned. The, the idea of documents being found to, to tell a story is not a new idea. Um, and it goes back even further than that. Um, into the sort of very earliest uh, gothic texts and novels. Um, but yes, it does very much feel like you are actually pouring through um, a sort of uh, documents box, doesn't it, when you, mm. when you read House of Leaves? Yeah, and yeah, so. I completely appreciate it because it's it, it only can exist as a book, you know, like the Kindle mm. version, it just wouldn't work. Yeah, I so I wonder, you know, the, I wonder if there is a Kindle version. They definitely did a few years ago a Radio 4 adaptation but what they adapted was the central story the navidson report yeah. which is about the the changing house and it wasn't any of the other stuff about johnny johnny truant i think is the the, the name of the character yeah, um and uh yeah so that and, and it was good and it was creepy but it you know how do you adapt that how you couldn't ever make a you could maybe make a tv show but it'd be very bold and very weird, and you'd have and... to do something within the format of, I guess, streaming. Yeah, there would have to be something in things in the menus and, and yeah. you know, links to IMDb, something like that. That's the yeah. only way I could think that that would work. Mm. So th- the short answer to how do you adapt it, I think, would just be you don't, you can't, yeah, <laughs> you just can't, yeah. Maybe I'll do a stage adaptation. There you go. Is this is eight it. hours long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you get you get drawn up out of your seat to read certain bits out, and uh, no, no, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> well, this has been absolutely fantastic, Adam. It's been a real joy to, uh, me, to chat to you. Um, what a lot of fun! Have you got anything you want to you want to plug? You want to give out your socials? You're you're yeah. coming to the end of a tour, is that right? I am. I've just come to the end of a tour of a show called haunted um haunted is two classic ghost stories um performed live on stage so usually my shows are my original writing but a few years ago i adapted christmas carol and um people seem to really like it and um we've toured that i think mm, twice and then i did a, a residency at a theater in london last december um of that show and um i i, well, I tend to do sort of um smaller shows and bigger shows and the bigger shows require a bit more funding a lot more planning and partners coming on board so it takes a long time to to build up to the bigger shows we have a bigger show coming at some point in the next couple of years we hope which will be called unhomely um 
And in the interim, I wanted to do a show that I could tour around the country. And so I adapted some classic ghost stories and that's what Haunted ended up being. Um, and it ended up being bigger than I thought it was going to be anyway. We toured to, um, I think, 13 theatres, I think, and um, maybe like 15 performances, something like that. Um, we are coming to the end of a, perform- uh, of a tour, but we really, really hope um, to tour it again in the autumn. Um, we have plans at the moment afoot to start building um, a tour in the autumn and potentially Christmas Carol will be coming back as well so it's going to be very busy winter for me Um, but yeah other than that you can see me on Twitter and it's at Adam underscore Z-E-D so it's like at Adam underscore Z Um, I'm on Instagram and stuff but best place to find me is yeah on Twitter and um, come and say hello. Lovely stuff. Well, Adam Zev Robinson, thank you so much for coming along and putting together your spooky shelf. Thanks for having me. Nice one. There you are. Adam Zed Robinson on the Spooky Shelf podcast. What an absolutely delightful guy. I had such a nice time with Adam. He was so lovely. So... Thank you again, Adam, for coming on. It was a, it was a real pleasure to chat with you, and thanks for listening as well. That's bonkers that people that I've been <laughs> fighting on have actually heard this thing. Remember to subscribe to the Spooky Shelf wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me at Spooky Shelf Podcast on Instagram. Thanks very much to Cosme Nitchin for creating the incredible photography and the artwork for this podcast. And as ever, Raul Coley, Mike Flanagan. I'm ready. I'm ready. Just let me know. I'll be back next week with another big old spooky shelf. Have a lovely week. See you next time. Now, fuck off.